You're listening to Recover, a podcast exploring what it means to rediscover something we lost inside ourselves. Whether through addiction, grief, or trauma, we're all connected by the feelings of sometimes losing our way. Let's unlearn what got us here and find ourselves again together. And now your host, founder and facilitator at Invitation Wellness, Sierra Frost. You're listening to Recover, and this is Autumn Patterson, not Sierra Frost, but I'm here today to interview Sierra Frost in her exciting new book that she has coming out uh, real soon. So Sierra, welcome. Thank you. To recover. <laughs> it's so it's so interesting being welcomed to my own podcast. <laughs> really, really uh, cool and a little bit um, exciting to be on the other side of the table tonight. Yeah, for sure. So um, why don't you tell me a little bit about um, what your overall motivation was for sitting down and writing a book? Yeah. Um, so Everything We Have Unlearned is the title of my book. And really, the very simplest reason I wrote this book is because I went through about 10 years of abuse as a child, and I wasn't able to really tell my story during that time. And when I grew up and I started looking at the trauma and working through it, I promised my little girl that I would tell her story. So in in your book, you talk about... Um you talk about that experience from the past and how you process it. Is that basically, or is there more to it? Yeah, the book has two parts. One part is a narrative, and the narrative goes back and forth between what happened in reality and what happened in this sort of fantastical world that was my imagination. So at certain points in time, there were moments that I had to escape from my body because I didn't feel safe. And I would go into my imagination and there was kind of a sense of like a hero's journey, warriors and ancestors and time travel and these ways that I really used this visualization, this imagination to work through my recovery. And I didn't plan it that way. I sat down to write the first chapter and that's just what came out was this beautiful scene. And I thought, okay, that's that's the way I want to tell this story. And partly because it's very true, it puts it really puts the reader in a space of processing the way I did in the moment. And it also allows people to approach a topic that can sometimes feel really heavy. And the theme of the book, if I wrote it well, is for the reader to not feel like they're overwhelmed with sadness or empathy for my character. It's really that they feel resilient and empowered and hopeful when they read that story. So the narrative goes through time um, not only as me as a child, but working through trauma as an adult, through the legal system, through repairing relationships with my family members, and all those different themes in a way that kind of travels back and forth. And then the last part of the book is a guide that says, these are some things that are true about trauma. Here are some exercises that you can try uh, for yourself or to relate better to other people. Okay, so this is so the book to some degree is about your recovery journey. Is that true? It definitely is. It's actually about the whole 
So, so it's more than that. So it's more than that. It's not just your recovery journey. It is more than that. It is my story as well as my perpetrator's story. Oh, okay. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So the person who abused me was my grandfather. And something that's really important to me in my work and just as a person in, in the story is that the survivor and the perpetrator role are the same. They're just different time periods in a cycle. And it was really important for me to show what happens over time when we're talking about generational trauma or cycles of of any kind of trauma, really, especially interpersonal trauma, is that we get treated a certain way, we learn things, and a lot of times we end up mirroring those things if we don't take the responsibility to heal from them ourselves. And so the book is really about my experience being abused, my experience healing from that, and through my experience of healing, learning about my grandfather and his story, and being able to look at him and say, wow, we are the same person. And of course, we're not the same person, (laughs) right? Right, right. But we had so many, I, I accidentally interviewed him I didn't have any intention of of finding empathy or compassion for him in in asking him about his life. But when I left that day, I definitely left with this feeling of my life is different and my approach to recovery is different now because I see this cycle very well. And so I really wanted the book to illustrate the humanity of perpetration and how that cycle of victim to perpetrator, survivor to perpetrator continues. It's really generational trauma is what you're talking about there, right? Is that is that what you're getting at? In my case, absolutely. I think that this doesn't necessarily have to be generational because it, it could be someone outside of our family that treats us a certain way and we pass it on to family members. It could be someone outside our family that treats us a certain way and we pass it on to people at work. Um, it's really just understanding that every character we meet in life has a backstory and that that backstory will often cycle and cycle and cycle until we decide to intentionally look at it and answer the question, how do I want to be? What character do I want to play? Okay. So so if I understand what you're saying, you're saying that if we don't deal with trauma, we're likely to pass it on. Is that is that kind of part of it? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. And and so your book goes into that and, and deals with that issue. Yeah, it goes deep into that, how it cycles, what happens to the brain, what happens to the body, how human beings store emotions in their bodies. And I don't want to be too scientific about it. It's very simple and straightforward. So, it, you know, the narrative part really just illustrates this is what it's like. And then the guide part is like, hey, this is the science behind why it is this way. Okay, so it's not just your story. You actually go into some of the background and details of you know, what we understand, at least today, about how that works. And it sounds like toward the end of the book, some steps that you can take yourself and to to start the process of healing. Is that is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. All the, the guide part, you know, has the very simple science and it's paired with an exercise. So you can be like, oh, that's why I can't look at that memory that I have from the past. It's too painful. And here's an exercise that might help bridge that gap and maybe make me able to take the first step to it. Yeah, that sounds really powerful, actually. So you really feel like it sounds like to me that this is going to help a lot of people that struggle with 
with their own trauma from from past from maybe present what they're going through now would that would that make sense yeah that's my hope that's definitely my hope is that people you know not only can relate to parts of my story i know i'm not alone i know i'm not special in that regard there's a lot of people who have experienced trauma whether they identify with the word trauma or not but childhood adversity childhood stress childhood neglect grief pain all those things um, so my intention is, yeah, to to say, hey, you're not alone, and here's some steps to take forward in the safety of your own home or brain, and then if you want to reach out and work together, then that's an option as well. Got it. So, so, real, so really, this isn't about, I mean, someone that's struggling with, say, um, a neglectful home growing up would find benefit in this book. So it's not just someone that's gone through a specific kind of trauma. Absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like that nobody gets through this life unscathed, you know? Um, and, and so you feel like, and I mean, this kind of, this kind of plays into this whole podcast as well about recovery. You know, um, I just think of the different topics that have been covered so far here. And I know this isn't about the podcast, it's about your book, but, um, you know, the question always comes back to what does recovery mean to you? That's usually how you lead. Right. And so, um, and I always found that really fascinating because some of the topics, the topics are really diverse. It's like, well, why does someone need to recover from that? And then you listen to their story and you're like, Oh yeah, that's a recovery process. So who does your book help then? Yeah, that's a great question. You could be a person who knows or identifies with experiencing trauma or neglect or some sort of pain. So maybe you feel like there's this this thing that's there. It's with you. You know what it is. You're not really sure how – you just kind of avoid it because you're not really sure how to start having that conversation or what's first. what is my first step to that. And you might also be a person that um, – I'm going to illustrate this – that maybe gets home at night – from work and maybe you have a family, maybe they go to bed, wherever the end of your day is when you finally reach that quiet moment and there's this missing piece and you might not even know what that missing piece is, but there's something there because the thing about recovery and, you know, when you brought up, it was almost like you were, you were making a statement without making the statement that is like, well, doesn't everybody have a story of recovery? Right. And my answer to that would be yes, because what what I do is I specialize in recovery, right? But I really specialize in interpersonal recovery. And what that means is human beings are biologically wired. We're historically wired to tell stories, to hear stories, to have relationships, to live together. And what that means is that we hurt each other sometimes. And we aren't taught how to heal that. We aren't taught how to sit in uncomfortable conversation. We aren't taught how to tell someone, hey, you hurt me and work through that. And so a lot of times what happens is we avoid it. We don't talk about our emotions. We grow up in families that um, the message, the underlying message is, is don't feel, don't talk about it, don't cry, just forget about it. Time heals all wounds. And, and that's really not true. What's true is that if we don't look at it, 
we store it in our bodies and then it manifests as physical pain, as anxiety, as depression, as these these cycles. And so maybe you're a person that doesn't really know what's missing in your life, but there's something there. Yeah, there's something there. And that so it sounds you know, I'm I'm thinking back to just my experience just generally in life and the times where you know, um, I'll do things that I don't understand, you know, and, and sometimes it's just because, <laughs> you know, I do something dumb because <laughs> that's a thing. I just do dumb things sometimes. And I think everyone's in that same boat. But, um, you know, there's sometimes where I'm just like, what's wrong with me? Does, is that is that kind of a marker? Because I feel like that was a huge one for me just generally. Yeah, that question of what's wrong with me is a question that comes from shame. And shame is, I would assert, the most intense feeling that a human being can have. And it really paralyzes us. It it causes us to isolate from people. It causes us to want to escape our bodies. It causes us to do that by um, addiction, maybe using drugs, using alcohol, food, shopping, avoiding anything we can do to distract ourselves from feeling that that emotion of there's something wrong with me. And and that really seems to tie back into just what you were saying a minute ago about um, just how, to, you know, just forget, move on, just paper over it. Forgive and forget is a popular one. <laughs> um, so that all kind of, it all kind of, t- it seems like from what you're saying, it all kind of ties together. And what, it sounds like one of the things your book has to offer is maybe a way through that. So instead of saying, hey, just forget about it, live your life, move on, deal with it another way, you know, ignore it, which nobody actually successfully ignores this stuff, um, right? And and so this book offers, <laughs> this book offers a path, right, for for that. Yeah, yeah, I'm laughing because it's like, well, does anyone ever successfully ignore it? I mean, maybe, maybe consciously, but then you end up with like chronic back pain or, or, you know, you, you wake up and you're 45 and you're like, what have I been doing my whole life? Or, you know, whatever. There's all kinds of different stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, it definitely does. Um, it, 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 my book is relatable to anyone who's ever felt pain. Anyone who's ever been hurt by another person or has hurt another person on purpose or by accident, that's that's what it's about. Okay, so tell me more about that. So, so most in the world, my experience has been that most people, you know, really go after the hurt, the person that's doing the hurting, or how do I want to say that they. Um, maybe demonize the person that's that's the perpetrator as it were in any kind of hurt so tell me more about how your book can help someone like that that's on the giving end of the hurting someone that's on the giving end of the hurting yeah um well i think that's that's related to the shame piece and so part of my work is always rooted in self-compassion. And one part of self-compassion, which is the number one predictor of mental health wellness, is this idea of, of common humanity and connection. And to say, 
we all mess up sometimes. And yeah, sometimes we mess up in ways that seem impossible to look at. I mean, murder, abuse, a car wreck, hurting someone that, you know, it, it might it might be premeditated, but a lot of times it's it's a cycle of something that happened and caused deep pain or fear and we're we're just reacting this knee-jerk reaction from that and so I think how the book really helps that is uh, one of the questions that that the readers asked online was if there was one message from the book what would that be I was just gonna ask you that next (laughs) perfect (laughs) so so my answer to that is is radical it's really radical this is for me the most vulnerable part of my book because I've gotten a lot of pushback on this in my life that every single human deserves compassion and deserves presence with other people And as a victim or a survivor of that person, you might not be the person to give that compassion or to give that presence. And that's okay. But somebody, in order to change the behavior of a perpetrator, a person needs to connect with them because that's what humans are built to do and to be. The idea that all of us are each other, not any one of us couldn't have a specific set of circumstances or... You know, the perfect storm is a phrase that we use a lot. There's always a perfect storm that we might be that person. So one of the things, perhaps the most powerful thing that I learned as a survivor of childhood abuse is that I could very easily end up in those shoes. And if I didn't do the work, I might. And that, I mean, that was the motivating factor for me to start my recovery was to be able to kind of look on the horizon and see if I chose to have a family one day that I could hurt them in the same ways. And I was so dedicated to not making the same mistakes that I was going to do absolutely anything in my power to stop that. Right. And it seems like it could be one of those things where you go, you get down the road and you look back and you realize, oh, my God, how did I get here? Is that true? Is that can you speak to that? (laughs) Yeah, I can. (laughs) Part of my story without without giving away the whole book. Part of my story is that. Let's just talk uh, about the whole book right now. (laughs) Just lay it all out there. It's like, (laughs) you know, I made mistakes. There are there are chapters and passages about myself and addiction that I struggled with and dysfunctional relationships that I was 100% a part of and definitely at fault. Um, There were times that I treated usually romantic partners, um, but sometimes other people, sometimes family members in a way that was not okay, that was not loving. And sometimes I knew what I was doing and sometimes I did not know what I was doing. And it, it wasn't until I, yeah, saw myself in my grandfather that I realized, Oh, I, I am fall. I am going down that path. So when I say I could see that on the horizon, maybe I should pull back and say I could see myself taking a few steps down that way right. and realized, oh, I really need to course correct before I get to somewhere. And I'm like, how the heck did I get here? Right. So did you did you need any help to do that? Or is that something you did totally on your own? <laughs> Yeah, of course I need. Of course I need help. I need, <laughs> to, kind of I need a lot question, of help. But, well, you know, <laughs> it's it's a dumb question in theory, but in practice, I think a lot of us feel 
the real shame that comes from even having a few steps down that path, right? Even going and taking one step down that path and realizing you've done it, it's like, well, I'm not going to say anything to anyone about that, you know? So how, how did you deal with that for yourself? Well, um, isolation breeds more toxicity. It breeds more trauma. And, you know, if I if I were trying to make an equation, like shame leads to isolation, isolation leads to breeding trauma. And so to connect that back with the last question as well, part of what we do to perpetrators is we isolate them, right? We we don't want to talk. We demonize them. We don't want to talk to them. We put them in a prison cell. They get out. We put them on a list. We avoid them. Um, even people that we see maybe on the street, we decide aren't safe. We avoid them. And what that does is it doesn't stop the abuse. It actually enables it to continue because there's no accountability there. And so what's successful in recovery is having lots of different types of support. And what's true about people in recovery is, again, there's that shame piece. There might be that that piece of interpersonal trauma of like, well, that person hurt me. It, it really, really hurt. I don't want to feel that again. So we avoid um, having connections, having relationships. We believe that we're not good at them. We believe that other people will never love us or we're not worthy of it. I mean, there's a million different beliefs that that we gather through the messages of abuse or neglect or, or grief, even like I lost someone and it was really difficult and I don't want to risk losing another person. So I'm not going to get close to them. Um, all kinds of, of things. But the problem goes back to what I was talking about where human beings are wired to connect with each other. And without that, we really can't be healthy people. And so different types of help that I got, I mean, I got professional help. I worked with therapists. I still work with coaches. I I, ha I had personal help. It took me, I had to like relearn how to make friends in my mid-20s. That's still sometimes a challenge to to recognize when I'm not allowing myself to receive support or ask for help from other people. Um, and it looks in lots of different ways. I also had moments in my life where I couldn't have a relationship with my family and I needed that. And then there were moments in my life where I wanted relationships with my family and I didn't know how to do it and I had to have help figuring that out. And then I had to have help from my family members to create those relationships. So it's really, I mean, if you think about sometimes even being in public, like having a relationship with the checker at the grocery store, or the barista at the coffee shop is still a relationship that could be really important in our lives. Relationships are everything. Like I literally cannot think of anything more important than that. Right now, <laughs> just, just like all over, like people, I think we have this idea, this like dream where like, I'm going to move into the woods and never talk to anyone again. And there's like, there's some, some dreamscape there. And I get that. Like the, I have days too, that I want to yes, go hermit like, up I'm, too. <laughs> I'm done with humanity <laughs> and I am moving to the hills the end. Exactly. Exactly. But ultimately like over time, the lonely life is not the fulfilling life. And, right. And then and, you end up writing a manifesto and thinks it's good downhill. It's terrible. Which is another way to reach out. Book. You know, that's another way to reach out though. Yeah. I mean, even people that do that mm -hmm. tend to find a way 
to reconnect to people and, you know, I have some examples in mind there, but we won't go into that because that's not part of your book. But uh, so um, an example, so give me, give me an example. So I'm someone that's feeling maybe overwhelmed by shame, maybe paralyzed by shame. Can you give me an example of how your book could be really useful for someone that's in that position? And I know we've talked around it, but give me a, a real like specific example, maybe um, a part of a chapter or you, you, you see what I'm saying? Um, what's what's something really specific from your book that someone in, in that position would find extremely beneficial just to give them a taste? Because I bet there's listeners out there right now that are going oh my God, this, this may be it. This may be the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm thinking, I mean, I'm thinking of the narrative part, which really, if you're feeling shame, like I said, you need to connect with someone else who you can see yourself in. Let that be me. This is an invitation to look at some of the most difficult and vulnerable parts of my life and connect. And that's like, I'm tearing up right now because I'm serious like this this book I did not I did not hold back in it. So if you're a person that has shame over addiction, there's a story about that in there. If you're a person who has shame over being raped, there's a story about that in there. If you're a person that has shame because you feel like you should have been able to speak out at some point in time, there's that in there too. Um there's a story of when I threw a Tupperware full of Christmas wrapping paper at my ex-boyfriend across the room because I was mad and I had no emotional regulation and I was violent. So, I mean, I think a lot of times people look at me and and they're like, well, you do this work, so obviously you're good at this and I'm not. I wasn't good at this when I started. <laughs> that's, why I, that's why I got good at this because I was awful at it. Um, and then there's, there's a whole exercise that I just – um, wrote when I was finishing my book the other day about specifically about shame, like how shame is stored in our bodies, what happens to it, and an exercise that can help you start to look at it. And you can start with that exercise in your home. Nobody else has to know that you tried it there. And then and then maybe reach out to somebody else that you know or that you trust or that's a professional that somehow, you know, has something that speaks to you. Okay. So when you say you wrote it just the other day, you mean into the book? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I just want to make that clear that yeah. it's not something that it's not an Insta post that you put out there or something like that. That's in the book. Yeah. In yeah. the, gu- in the okay. guide, it's specifically in the, one of the guide exercises talks about like, Got this it. is what shame is sure. and here's something you can do yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I just, as I was sitting there thinking about it, I'm like, oh, you wrote this the other day in the book because you're still, you're not quite done with the book, right? Is that true? The, bo- the book is having its final touches on it. So like the cover's getting finished the pages are all getting formatted and it'll be printed soon so it'll be out completely on december 7th Woohoo! that's real soon yeah. you excited 
I am <laughs> I am so excited. Um, someone asked me today, like, how is how important it is is it to you that I come to this book release party? And my response was, Well, this is only the most important thing I've ever done in my life. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no big deal, no pressure. If you can't make it, it's fine. We're not friends. No, anymore. I said it in a very sincere way, but um yeah, I mean I I really this book is like all of the things in my life that have been very difficult put together. So one one of the things that I learned writing and my one of my mentors, Juanita Robertson, said to me is the recovery process was the growth and writing the book is the harvest. Mm, mm. And I definitely found that to be true for me in revisiting. And, and I had notes that I had kept throughout my recovery process that I went back to. And there were many moments when I would read something and say, oh, yeah, I forgot that that happened or I forgot how intensely difficult that felt in the moment. And so there are so many great harvests of like, wow, I am really strong. <laughs> like, wow, that this exercise really did work. It really did change the trajectory of my entire life. So if you're feeling that way, like this is hopeless or it's never been different. So why would it be different now? I invite you to to read it and to see that I am an example of why things can be different than they ever have been before. Hey guys, this is Sierra. I hope you're enjoying learning about my book and a little bit about the process of writing it. And I wanted to let you know that your first chance to snag a copy is going to be this Friday on Black Friday. And I have a special going out. There'll be a bundle of a signed paperback book an ebook and the audiobook all together. And this is important because number one, you get a signed copy and I'm going to write you a sweet little personalized message inside. And then the ebooks are nice because you can search and go back and forth really easily and highlight really easily. And the audiobook is essential in this type of book. And the reason is the guide portion has different visualizations and exercises that are just really difficult to be able to read to yourself and do. So you'll want to be able to have my voice guiding you through while you're doing the exercises to really get what you want out of it and get results from it. So this is going to be a limited deal because it's amazing and I can only sign and send out so many copies with sweet little messages inside. So it'll be open all weekend, but you want to make sure to grab it on Friday before it's sold out. It'll be $27 for all three, the signed paperback, the ebook, and the audiobook all together. It's pre-ordered, so I'm going to mail it to you and you'll get a little email with the links to your audiobook and your ebook later on. And you can grab that at invitationwellness.com forward slash book. And that will be open at midnight on Friday, this Friday, Black Friday, $27 for the bundle of the signed paperback, the ebook, and the audiobook. I can't wait to write you guys sweet little personalized messages as you read my book. So um, what what changes did you discover in yourself as you wrote the book? So a lot of times when the student becomes the teacher, so to speak, right, you almost learn more. Um, and it, as you were sitting there saying, talking about this and talking about this process a little bit, um, it dawned on me that you probably really started learning even more, like ex maybe even exponentially more um, in through, through the process of writing this book. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a reason why we don't coach or counsel ourselves. We can't give ourselves therapy. And we have these phrases like you can't see the picture from the frame, right? And so I'm sure there's a lot of people who have been in my life over the last three decades and they could tell you lots of ways that they've seen me grow and change. But it doesn't feel that way for me, right? If, you, if you're in your own story, you don't, you're not reading it and observing it, which is a very different perspective. And so being able to write it and go back and really relive these adventures that I have had was like, whoa, I, I'm witnessing. And the book spans the age of two <laughs> all the way up to three months ago when my grandfather died. So it's really almost my entire life. It's my entire life that I can remember. And of course, not every single detail is in there, but <laughs> but all of those stories. And so it's like I had a chance to kind of relook at my development for 30 years. And I think I probably saw myself in a lot of different lenses. I remembered the really tender parts of me, the parts of me that still feel tender. Um, I felt powerful. I felt capable being able to look at these stories and say, wow, that took a really a grown ass woman to make it through that. And uh, one of so so I guess in, you know, in a way, it kind of like cemented the work that I've done for myself and felt like okay, that development piece, that growth is done. And now I'm in a harvest season. And that's what this is. And uh, I toyed with with calling the book The Gifts of Trauma for a while, which is a phrase that might feel a little weird. <laughs> I was going to say, the first, time, the first time I heard you say that, that was really difficult for me to accept because um, trauma feels hard and scary. And uh, trauma feels uh, dehumanizing, and so to to turn around and say, "Oh yeah, there's there's a gift here for you." Uh, you weren't the first person to use that phrase <laughs> uh, in my presence. I don't know that you were telling me that specifically, but I remember you using it. And, um, but I did have a friend that said, "Oh yes, this thing that you're going through that's really hard. This is a gift," and I'm like, "You are out of your mind." <laughs> Yeah, and that's not something I would say to someone who's in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, know? well, you might have you might have had a touch of Asperger's. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I, I needed to hear that, by the way. So it wasn't bad. Yeah, I, it's it's a perspective shift, and it is. and I want to clarify that trauma itself is not the gift. Like, so one of the things that I really, that I think I knew, there's a, a Native American phrase that is, knowledge is only a rumor until it lives in your bones. And I think one of the things that I learned about myself in writing this book was that I went from being able to know in theory that I was resilient and courageous and loving to really embodying that and knowing that before I was abused, I was resilient 
before I was abused, I was loving. Before I was abused, I was courageous. It wasn't because I went through that that I have those attributes. I have always been that. And that's why I'm here. Not because I was put in the position to learn those things. It's because I had that spirit to begin with that I made it through those things. And so when, when I say the gifts of trauma, they're not gifts that you're harvesting from the trauma. They're just things that maybe you're able to see when you look back. Like courage doesn't feel courageous in the moment. It feels absolutely terrifying. And then when you do the thing and you look back and you're like, wow, I was so strong. I was so brave. I did that thing. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's when you're like, yeah, cool. I, I am that person. And so if you're in the middle of it, it might not feel that way. And that's okay. And I don't want to invalidate yeah, no you. Right. So, right. So right, 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 right. Sure. Um, and, and I think so that that was all that was all harvested. That was all solidified. That's something that I really am able to embody now in a way that I wasn't before I wrote this book. And then a quest the question that I'm still considering is who am I beyond this story? When my grandfather died and our our relationship on this plane ended, it was like so much of how I identify is as a survivor. And so much of my knowledge and my skill in the work that I do and the change that I have dedicated my life to making in the world came from this experience. And I think that's true for a lot of survivors, especially if you have chronic abuse or have been ruminating on it for a long time is like, what other identities do I have? And and so that's still a question that I'll be honest, I don't know. I know a little bit of the answer, but I don't know all of the answer to yet is like, who else am I now? Right. And generally, and, that's a lifelong journey. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sure. You know. Absolutely. But I, so I think I think what but, I learned about myself is like writing the book is like, okay, I put a bow on this package and now what else am I going to do with my life? And it's it's exciting too. It's not just like, oh my gosh, I'm having an identity crisis. It's like it's also like, cool. What else do I get to be? I'm only 32. I got a lot of time to be other things. What what will that look like? You <laughs> What's know, that all about right? Good, <laughs> awesome. So, if you could choose one message from your book to tell the world, what would it be? Um. Yeah, I mean, it would be the message that every human deserves compassion and presence which again, I think is really radical. I've had a lot of pushback on it. And that people are capable of change. Every single person is capable of change, even if we don't think they are. And in fact, if we don't think they they are, we probably shouldn't be in their life. There's someone in your life that you don't believe in. You're doing a disservice to yourself and to them in being there. And I, I just, I say that because I didn't believe in my grandfather for a long time. For a long time, I called him Ralph because that was his name, and he wasn't my grandfather. I didn't have a grandfather, right? I had this person who I was supposed to be able to trust who abused me, who let me down, and it was devastating. So I didn't ever refer to him as that role, you know, that title of relationship that grandfather is that means something. And in the last three years of our relationship, he earned it back. And I started calling him grandfather again. And it was like he was able to 
love and support me in a way that I never thought he was going to be able to before. And so every person is capable of change. And the reason I am, I am absolutely certain that the reason he was capable of that change is that I was able to give him compassion and presence. And without that, I don't think we would have ended up where we did. So on that note, how many times did you cry <laughs> when you were writing this book? <laughs> I cried it's 537 times. times. It's only been four times since we started doing this interview, so <laughs> which I totally get because telling my story, it's hard for me not to as well. Yeah, um, all the time. <laughs> yeah. And ha- I mean, happy tears and sad tears and frustrating tears. And yeah, I would... I'm I'm sure I was sitting in so many different I often write in coffee shops. So I was sitting in so many different coffee shops and I would be writing about something and I would just be sobbing and typing really fast and sobbing like I wish I I wish I could see from the perspective of people around me like what is she doing <laughs> what right is now? What's going on over there? Um, but yeah, probably dozens of times I cried. <laughs> That's awesome. This. But my, I would say that I think the majority of it was not in a sad way. It was in a moving and inspirational way of like, you know, when you get when you get to the point of the hero's journey and, you know, Braveheart is like yelling and running across the field and you're like, yes, yes, she's doing it. And it, and you cry happy tears. It was it was mostly inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. OK. <laughs> <laughs> it's understandable both directions, because it's I mean, it's it's a bit of an epic journey that you've been on, really. You know, just from, yeah, I think so. Yeah, just from everything that you've said. Okay, well, here's a tough question. How did you decide on the title? (laughs) That was was really hard for me. (laughs) It was really hard for me. Why? Well, okay, let's start here. Why was it hard for you? Yeah, well, I, so first I, I had a journal when I was a teenager and it was called Normal Like You. And I was like, very serendipitous. I was like, I'm so creative and I'm going to call it normal like you. And it has all of this like symbolism and backstory. And it's also because so many people have trauma. It's like, it's so common. And (laughs) and I was like, oh, nobody gets this. (laughs) Nobody (laughs) understands what this means. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like I can relate to that to some degree, but go ahead. (laughs) But I mean, without the explanation, it's like like this balance between like, how can I be artistic, but also make sense? Right? Right. And then, and then I was toying with the gifts of trauma and I was getting all kinds of different feedback um, similar to what you shared of like, well, I don't know, that feels a little bit invalidating and I'm not really sure. Sure. And then I felt super stuck about it and I, and I prayed and I meditated and I sat with it and I talked to all of my coaches and I talked to all of my, my editor and my cover designer and my, po- and my Facebook friends and my <laughs> podcast producer and like, you know anyone who would listen to me the barista at the coffee shop <laughs> what would you name this book hey stranger will you talk to me about this book and uh it, and I got frustrated because I was like I can't it wasn't like it wasn't coming to me um and I I have a poetry book that I published a little over a year ago called words I'm not allowed to say and the last line of that of the title poem is everything we have unlearned. And that was like the second choice of the title that I was going to use. And I don't remember why one day I was reading that poem and I got to the end and I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. Because in the theme of showing and honoring my grandfather's story with mine was like, there's a lot of shit to unlearn here. 
a lot more to unlearn than there was to learn, probably. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of these things, these these ideas of like I like I keep coming back to, we're biologically wired to connect. We're biologically wired to have empathy. We're biologically wired to be healthy and loving towards each other. And all these things kind of get in the way and they they stop us. They cause fear and jealousy and confusion and and they stop us. And so it was really like all these all this stuff that we needed to unlearn to get back to our natural states of being together. And so that was the title. That's really great. And I just I like the idea. It's <clears throat> it's it's hard to focus on um since I let me put it this way, since I've met you, <laughs> one of the things that I've learned to think about is how to unlearn things. Um, it's not something that's really in our vernacular as a culture, that we think growth is always learning, that we think growth is always up and to the right. And that puts it, for me, that's always put a really new light on on just kind of, well, maybe there's some <clears throat> some things we've learned that are not useful, right? I mean, is that that's kind of the idea is like, you know, under self-examination, I found this one thing. <laughs> and it turns out this thing is not helpful to me at all. In fact, it's destructive to my relationships, to me, to other people, whatever. Um, so um, in the process of writing this book, what's something that you realized that you needed to unlearn? Uh, this is going to be a tough question, but what 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 is something that you needed to unlearn that you found through this book? <laughs> I will I will do you one step further and tell you something that I am still unlearning right now. Excellent. I so as a as a survivor and again I w- I want to speak to my teachers so I really just discovered this last week with my mentor Juanita who I mentioned before. I a lot of times as survivors we we are the strongest person in the group. And it's because we have to be to survive. And so as a child, I really, I got used to that. I got used to feeling like I had to take care of myself. And and when I say this, I also, you know, I want to preface it with my family. My parents are amazing. I love them so much. They did so much for me. And when I grew up, I, I felt like I was alone. I felt like I really had to only rely on myself. And I think this is true for a lot of people. Like we hear themes of asking for help and accepting help that precisely that, like mostly that. But I will often unconsciously surround myself with people who just aren't on the same level as me. And that's not a judgment. Like we we all surround ourselves with people that we have things in common with and maybe this like certain belief systems and, and things like that that are similar to us, right? And so I find in my life that I'll surround myself with people who who maybe need help, maybe um, want to feel accepted, like the things that I'm really good at, but I don't allow them to support me. And so still now, part of this, this the answer to this question, like what, what am I besides a survivor is like, oh, I... I'm a daughter and I am a friend and I'm a I'm a family member to people I'm not biologically related to. I am an aunt. I am a girlfriend 
Uh, Like, how do I show up in those roles, which require me to lean in? If you think of like an architecture, (laughs) I don't know if I can describe this with my voice, but like the architecture of like one wall is straight up and down and then another thing is leaning on it. So it's forming kind of like a, a triangle with a straight edge and one one leaned side. That's not a relationship though a relationship is for both sides to be leaning in and meet at this tip in the middle and so i'm i'm unlearning that i have to be always be the strongest person and always have to have this plan b of how i'm going to take care of myself if someone else doesn't show up and so i think part of the process in what you're talking. I love that that you let me know that you learned this since meeting me, by the way. Um, behavior, human behavior always gets us to an outcome that we want. And so before we can learn something, we have to unlearn it. If that behavior isn't serving us, we have to unlearn that behavior and then learn a different behavior that gets us to the outcome. And so I'm really still in the process of, of unlearning which means noticing the times that I'm not allowing other people in, that I'm hiding from them, that I'm having the quote unquote right answer. I always have the right answer. <laughs> and part of that <laughs> is answer, so like answering this question <laughs> yes. is trying to not hide right now to yeah. say, I, I do this work and I'm really good at it, but I'm not perfect. I'm still on this journey in my life. And so leaning in, yeah, leaning in and not not having to be the strongest person in the in the room and allowing other people to hold me and ask for what I need and receive what they have to give me and if I need something else going and finding it and continuing to ask for help continuing to be in relationships that we meet in the middle yeah and that can be really hard especially if it when when we have trauma when we're young I found this to be true <clears throat> for myself and for my kids um that have gone through trauma, you know, it's, it's so hard to believe that you can safely reach out to anyone. You know, I mean, as a parent, sometimes I feel like I'm standing there, you know, yelling at the wall. I am here for you. Let me in, (laughs) you know, and, and it doesn't, it just, it, it, it does feel like I, you know, it's just a brick wall because it's so difficult to reach through to that. And it's a decision that I think each one of us has to make to trust other people again and again and again. Right. I mean, because, you know, when we when we open up to trust, I mean, a lot of my experience has been a lot of times we get hurt. And that's, that gets old after a while, you know, and I think in our culture, we have this notion that relationships are supposed to be, I mean, you look at any like comedy, you know, like situational comedy, right? You know, and everything's resolved at the end of the show. And maybe there's a little (laughs) tiff or whatever, but nobody hurts each other real bad most of the time. If it is, it's a big deal. And nobody can ever recover, recover from that and come back. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have this kind of goofy. Yeah, I just if you don't hear anything else on this podcast, you guys, when you're listening, just to hear this, do not model your relationships off of anything you're seeing on television or movie screens or probably not in the media either. Because <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's not complete. A, it's an incomplete picture. Right. And that doesn't work. 
Um, yeah. And when we are able to lean in and the time, and absolutely, there are times that the other people don't show up and it hurts. Absolutely. I get that. And there's also times when, when the other person does show up and it's amazing and magical. And that is, that is something that I really have been learning with my parents just the other day. Uh, I think I was sick and my mom texted me and she said, if you would let me, I would tell you to rest and take care of yourself. And, you know, and she sent me this really, really sweet message, really loving message. And I really noticed if you let me those words, <laughs> those four words. And it was like it was like a, a poke to me, like, hey, remember that your mom is a person that you get to lean in to and that she can be there for you. And I I spent a long, long, long time in my life not believing that specifically with my mother. And getting like getting to have a mom that you get to lean into is amazing. I think I think not everyone gets that. And the people who do get it will know what I'm talking about. And if you don't have that, there's other motherly figures that hopefully you can find in your life to lean into. But a mother's love is something that I am getting that I wasn't getting before. And it's like that. That's cool. That's really cool to have now. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So what was if if you had to. This is probably going to be difficult, but if you had to narrow it down to like the the thing you're most excited about, about this book, about your book, what would that one thing be? What's the thing you are just like enamored over the moon with, you know, like specifically, like if you had to call out a specific page, you know what I'm saying? Like a specific page or a specific chapter. Oh, like, a specific part of the yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, mm. like there's a lot of excitement <laughs> that could be had. This book sounds amazing to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not just saying that because yeah. I'm getting paid to say that either. <laughs> I'm I'm super excited. She's I getting want paid nothing book. right now. I want so the know. book. Right. <laughs> My salary has increased a thousand percent since I started this podcast. Um but, you know, it's there's a lot of great things you could say, just generally things that you're excited about, about how this book is going to help people. But specifically, is there some paragraph or chapter or something specific that you that you hold up and you're like, man, if you don't get anything else from this book, this is the one thing I'm so excited about. That is a difficult question. I think my answer is the beginning and the end. So the beginning, um, there's a time in my life where I told my family after a very long time of hiding it that I was abused. And it's one of those times where it was back and forth between, you know, the earthly reality and going into my imagination. And the scene is like storming the castle, like me in this very Alaskan, because that's where I grew up, this very Alaskan warrior outfit and outside of the house where my family was, my little girl who is begging me to tell the story and just warriors and armies of teachers and brave people who have gone before me and they're just spanning the entire city. And then beyond that... um, the peninsula and 
just just armies of people and me walking in to this house knowing I'm about to take down this I don't know how far the generations of pain go and I'm and I'm going to walk in there and slay it and it is so powerful and I think anyone that reads that is going to feel like they can do anything in that moment and then the second part at the end um kind of it comes back to that scene I don't want to give it away too much so it comes back to that scene and kind of comes full circle where I'm in the throne room and the king is dead and the the armies are outside and they respond in a way I'm not going to tell you (laughs) but it's but it's beautiful and and I love it and I think you know that this epic you said the word epic journey and that's that's exactly what it is and so the book starts from that place because that's exactly where I want people to drop into is that storming the castle all right so um I have like three different visions of what this book is um it, it feels almost like a textbook for people to read that um, are dealing with trauma, but that's not right. Um, it's not fiction, it, but but it sounds like there's an element of just kind of the story, your story, really woven into it, right? Um, what if you had to describe? Like, I'm going to sit down and read this book. How do I prepare myself to read this? It's not a textbook. It's not you know, a James Patterson novel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what is it? Um, I mean, if I were going to put it in a genre, I would put it in creative nonfiction. Um, and, you know, maybe a s- secondary one of psychology, just because of the topic. But it's I mean, it's really, you can choose to use it as a self help book or not. The whole, the whole first part of it is my story and it's told as a story it's told as a memoir um, with that epic journey and so you can read it like you're reading a fantasy novel knowing that it's happened knowing that it's true and then there's then there's it's like a choose your own adventure like you know (laughs) once you you read the epic journey you can choose to go on to the guide part if you want to apply it to you or to someone that you love or not and so at the beginning I mean you really just have to be eager and open to read something that feels powerful and adventurous and real and then if you're going to use the guide it'll tell you like this is a journal exercise so you might want a pen and some paper Otherwise, it's very simple. It doesn't require much from you besides the willingness to be open and trust yourself to go places. Trust yourself. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Yikes. That's a scary one for me. I'm getting better at that. Um, But But you have support. Like the beautiful part about the book is like you you have support of like this is what to do. And and I think that makes it a lot easier to kind of have those have the steps. That's, that's it's like, exciting. I'll hold your hand through this. Okay, I want this book. Through the book. I want this book. How do I get this book? <laughs> How do I get it? Uh, so you can buy it starting on December 7th, which is my grandfather's birthday. This is the last gift I will give to him. And 
It will be available anywhere that you already buy books. So you can order it online. You can order it from bookstores. Um, yeah. So Amazon, your favorite local bookstore. I always recommend your favorite local bookstore. <laughs> you should be able to look it up and order it if they don't have it in stock already. Everything we have unlearned. All right, Sierra, thank you so much for coming on your program today and <laughs> letting me host. And I hope I've done a moderately decent job in giving you a, a good, you know, just kind of a good format for you to be able to tell your story um, and get the message out there that this book is a must have. It's a need to read. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm really, really excited. I hope you all read my book and love it because I love it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Thanks for being here, Autumn. Want to learn more about overcoming adversity and embracing the full expression of yourself? Visit speakwithsierra.com and book a complimentary introductory session with Sierra today.